0: educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home.
1: Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Barbara Pierce and uh, CJ Hurley with me from CJ Hurley Century Arts. Thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you
3: thanks
1: for inviting us yeah so um tell me a little bit about your backgrounds um well we both um were trained in the
3: arts we met in um, art and design school in college and um it went on uh, different career paths early on i worked in the apparel design and textile business for Um, a number of years and CJ trained as a fine artist and has always, since we graduated college, always worked as a self-employed artist and designer. Um, And then in 2004, after a number of years of um, collaborating. We've pretty much always collaborated, but um, after a number of years collaborating and and um, talking about different ways that we could work together, we um, took the scary leap of um, me leaving a corporate design career and joining CJ in the business that had become CJ Hurley Century Arts. And, um, and so we've built our business from there. Yes. Um, working in you know really uh, design, um, decorating, preservation, art. We kind of cross a lot of of um, of uh, lines, I guess. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think that that's really interesting. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Alison Hardy, uh, the window woman of New England. She also has a textile background. <laughs> so that's interesting to me that <laughs> now you're the second person oh. that, I, that I know that has that in, in the in the preservation world. <laughs> Oh, so,
3: interesting. Um, yeah. I don't I don't think that we know her, yeah. um, although we do know window people around the country, but yeah. I'd, I'd be interested in looking her up and knowing more about her background. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We've actually, we're just uh, we were just talking about how um, so many window restoration people are women. And yes, um, yeah. I'm, i love that
1: yeah i do too and i i we've talked about that some too and i think and and this is just my theory i don't have like any any proof but i think it's because it's accessible and there's not like a heavy physical requirement for it so you Mm. can you know you can take windows in and out you can you know take them back to the shop but you don't have to lift heavy things like beams and things like that not that all restoration work is heavy you know, heavy construction, but I think it's, it just feels a little bit more accessible. I don't, right. I don't know. That's my theory.
2: <laughs> it might also have something to do with personality and and um, an aptitude for patience.
1: True. Yeah. You you de- and you have to be. It's very repetitive, so you have to be very detail oriented for you know and and in it for a lot the long haul. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So what, what drew you into to preservation? I um I love that you both have an art background. Um I find that like our best employees typically have art backgrounds too. So I what, oh, what interesting. drew you yeah, what drew you into preservation?
2: Well, we both grew up in old houses and then we lived in old houses when we were in college. So we've kind of had this whole through line of of. Exposure to older um, residential architecture. And then, really, I think what got us moving towards preservation was becoming old house owners (laughs) ourselves. And then, uh, you know, there was a curious kind of um, thing that happened where um, my studies in art. We're starting to lean more towards an architectural mm. interest, especially those movements like the Arts and Crafts movement, right. like the Art Nouveau, mm-hmm. where there was a marriage between art and architecture, and they and they weren't separated. And then um, a number of the um, nation's significant preservation conferences started happening um, near to us. Okay. And Barbara was starting to consider a uh, career change at that time. And um, so we started investigating um, the, the preservation circles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting yeah. to me. It's, oh, um, you gotta it, say something.
3: No, you go ahead.
1: Oh, I was But just in a say nutshell, that's... I think oh. that it's okay you're good (laughs) keep talking i have to work really hard to not talk
2: (laughs) in a a nutshell i think that like so many people that get involved with preservation it's through the their own ownership of an old building and that's really what what leads you there trying to um you know get an understanding what's the right thing to
1: do yeah i agree yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree, and I I actually do hear that a lot when I ask that question, or growing up in an older home, or having been exposed to those those things as 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 children. So um, I I was just gonna make my commentary on the arts and craft style. I think that you know it really was a marriage of you know traditional traditional craftsmanship and art, uh, and it was it was a, a, you know kind of a reaction to the Victorians and their mass production. And people don't realize that most of that, you know, gingerbready and that fancy molding was being mass produced, which is how they could, you know, make it inexpensively that people could afford it. And, and so I think that that's I think that 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 undertone has always been there in, in the preservation community too, you know, trying to retain the traditional building, even if it's not in the arts and crafts style.
2: Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And we, in my corporate career, um, we had, I traveled a lot um, nationally and internationally and CJ had some opportunities to travel with me. So, you know, you're constantly getting exposed to other cultures and new architecture. And then we had some relocations. So every time we moved, we were always attracted to You know, we never imagined living in anything but an old house and getting deeper and deeper into preserving ourselves. And then we lived in New England. And I've heard a couple of your other um, interviews, um, and I think you even talked about it yourself, um, say uh, the traditional building conferences, and we had some opportunities to start doing continuing education and going to those conferences. And it just seemed like very organically, our worlds of art and design and preservation started overlapping and and it grew from there.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely feel, I definitely feel that there's a lot of overlap there. So uh, tell me about um, your company. Tell me about C.J. Hurley Century Arts. Um, well, it's a bit of a hard company
3: to describe. You know, marketing people tell you, you need your little elevator speech. And we're <laughs> very good at that. Um, That's okay. You can just throw it all our, at Now, <laughs> our business has grown really um, over time uh, to be um really a representation of our collective individual and collective experiences and expertise and our clients have challenged us over the years to grow in different directions and so um it combines art um cj is recognized as a master artist in the roycroft renaissance um, which is a, an organization and a tradition dedicated to fine quality hand craftsmanship. So his art is very much a part of our business and um, very significant to a portion of our client base. And then we have the design and consultation side of our business, which um, is pretty broad. We do a lot of color consultation for old homes, um, design consultation, and then we do full-blown um, uh, restoration projects where we get involved in design of, you know, getting um, details back to houses that they're missing. Um, Sometimes it's uh, people who can't live in the old house that they love. So if they're building a new house, we get involved in design of bringing period details in a, in a, um, in a, um, sensitive way into their homes. We do some kitchen and bathroom design. Um, and those tend to be really specialized. We don't do that kind of thing every day. Um, you know, it's really when people want the approach and expertise that we bring to it. So, so we span a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and, um, I think we're different things to different people, but the thing that I think pulls it all together is education is bringing an educational approach. So, um, you know, we're, we're often brought in to help people understand their architecture. And I think then relationships grow from there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I find that this process um, is very much educating, educating the public in general, but then also educating our clients because they, they might know that they love their building, but they don't necessarily know, what's appropriate and they come to you and want, and then you and then sometimes well I'll talk to people and they they I walked through this house a couple months ago and they had done whoever owned it before had done really weird stuff to it really weird like Things that you shouldn't do in an older house like try to try to open it up and make it mid-century modern stuff like that <laughs> Right? <laughs> and they had they had um taken the ceiling out in the attic and exposed the rafters and i'm like that's not the windows were really low to the ground and if the ceiling had been regular height they wouldn't have looked so weird but like it was disproportionately off and i said This ceiling's supposed to be lower. Like, and she's like, I love it open like this. I'm like, no, we're not a good fit. Like this isn't, (laughs) we're not a good fit. Like, (laughs) I mean, you, I I I am an advocate for living in your house, but if things are just like too weird and you love it, we're probably not gonna agree on anything.
3: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And you have to be able to recognize that, right? That that you're the right
1: person for the project. Right, definitely, definitely. But I um so do you for your um I'm I'm assuming that like your art and your design and your consultation you can do nationwide do you have a geographic area for your restoration work or do you do you travel for that also
3: Um, We do travel. um, So we we're based in um, northwest Pennsylvania right now, but we're um, recently relocated to here. We were in Portland, Oregon, um, for the last uh, 16 years before moving here four and a half years ago. And um, we have a big. client base on the West Coast and then the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. But even from there, we did a lot of remote work with people around the country. And then relocating um, to here to be closer to family as they were getting older. um, We uh, really have learned even more how to have a remote business. And there are pro- a lot of projects that we do completely remotely. And then there are projects where we work remotely and then we're on site. So um, it, prior to the last year, we did a fair amount of travel for our work. Some, right. um, you know, driving distance and and um, some air travel. And we always try to coordinate projects with clients around if we're going to conferences or any other kinds of events that we have vacations, right, um, you know, yeah. to, to make it more affordable to keep that travel portion of it more affordable for our clients. Um, so, uh, you know, but there are some things that that uh, we do that we really have to be on site for. So we just try to work around what the needs are.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. We travel to. Um, and so I yeah, it is it's a it's a balance of, of trying to trying to Figure out how to make everything work logistically. Um, my my dad's family um, is from from Portland, and um, so oh. I, I I've spent um, I've I've spent some time there. I spent a couple summers in um, on the coast um, in Rockaway Beach with my with my grandparents. So nice. when I was little, when I was when I was younger, I would I flew because we lived far away. So I would they, my parents would send me there for the summer so I could spend the summer with them, which was great because it gave me a chance to get to know them too. So right, right. That's a pretty yeah. idyllic place to spend a summer too. Oh yeah, kid. yeah, yeah. And and it's um, I I'm really I've I mean it's really pushed up the property values there. But I'm really impressed with their zoning and some of the the things that they've done to, for preservation. Um, as a as a um, I mean their the architecture is not as old as it is on the East Coast, but they've they've really worked to preserve it, and and I think they've done a good job. Um, right, they're, they're very progressive. Yeah 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 um do you mostly work for homeowners then is that the your primary client base yes mostly
3: yeah we have gotten involved um in some church uh restoration work um and some commercial projects often those projects um come from uh, a residential client right. and, and referral, but not always. Um, we've gotten involved in some um, projects through nonprofit preservation organizations that have hired us to to come in and do work, and um, then some adaptive reuse projects. So um, that's that's something that um, early when we when I left my corporate job and CJ and I started working together, it was something that we thought we would do more of, mm-hmm. and um, we realized that, um, you know, we kind of learned um, quickly how, um, from a marketing standpoint, it's really two different worlds. And, you know, so people don't necessarily find you, if you're doing a lot of residential work, they don't necessarily easily find you in the commercial realm. So it took a long time before we started to have a name for ourselves in that
1: realm. And then we've been doing more of that in more recent years. Yeah. And there's, I think there's, just from a business standpoint, there's, you know, there's bonuses or there, there's advantages and disadvantages to either either um, either um, client. We do we do a combination also, um, but yeah, it is it's it is very marketing is very different to to those. I agree, I agree, right. and it's hard to know. Like I feel like <clears throat> it's easy to target like homeowners because they live in a certain neighborhood or what you know. However, you're doing your targeting, but if but it for commercial projects, it's almost like if they're going to have a project coming up, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the building, you know, at least like working with general contractors, they don't specialize as, as much as, as smaller contractors do. Right. So, Correct. Yeah. So, um, I, I did, I, I, and I put this in my notes to you, um, that I love the quote on your website that art was an, ex, is an extension of where and how we live. Um, and I was thinking, you oh, know, that's really, very much, you know, like the arts and crafts and the craftsmen movements. Um, can you explain your your philosophy in regard to art and and homes and architecture? I'll let you start. You want me to start? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Something. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, you know, I think that. Um, even when we were young and and you know didn't know as much as we thought we did. Um, <laughs> we, um, you know, just we were always working to make our homes artistic. And I think that was because we were in art school and we had a couple of really interesting experiences in school and and we were um kind of um learning together and and sharing creative energy. And so that started just naturally going into our homes. And in fact, um I remember an old house that we were rented in college the landlord let us do um this incredible cj did all these hand-painted details it took a while for me to like at some point in in our business to realize oh that started like way back (laughs) we've
1: been doing this forever
3: (laughs) right right all these beautiful decorative details in a property that we didn't own and we didn't realize how crazy that was then but it just you know kind of um grew from there and then, then um just learning about the arts and crafts movement kind of solidified that, you know, we were like, oh, these are values that, that we already have. And, you know, we just started to relate to that. Um, And so then I think it's, um, it's just kind of grown in our business. And, and I don't know if you, if you want to say it better than me.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, what Barbara said about our earlier day, you know, everything's an evolution. So so where we are now, you know, I I do think that a deeper understanding of the arts and crafts movement and its related um, movement, Art Nouveau, kind of solidified that idea um, where there's not a real separation of art and, and life and art from from architecture, because it, just from that historical standpoint, it was the one period in architectural history where the arts were united with architecture. Most right. of the architects that worked at that time were artist trained architects. Mm-hmm. Um, the It makes that window in architectural history, those buildings that were built extra significant because in today's world, architecture has been separated from the fine arts. They're separate disciplines. You no longer go to an art school that has an architecture department within it. You you go to architecture school and the art students go and and learn how to paint and and, and draw. And there's just a real, um, sensibility to those buildings that you don't find in other types of, of architecture, even though I'm not saying that the other types of architecture aren't significant, right. but there is an, an aesthetic value difference and there's definitely a um, a very careful discernment um, that, that, that was intentionally modulated by these people in, in creating um, a real true sense of human scale right. to, the, to the architecture and its functionality. You know, they saw these things as kind of art machines.
1: <laughs> but I I I agree. Yeah. I yeah I agree. Uh, the scale I hadn't I had never thought about that before. That gives me a new perspective. But it's true. They were all scaled to be human size. You know, not not massive, huge buildings. You know, that's that's very true.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and
2: even if they were on a grander scale, mm-hmm. there there was a, a real regard for human proportion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So.
3: And, um, early in our careers, when CJ was working really primarily as a fine artist and doing some design work, he was working very much at doing controversial, sometimes, um, uh, contemporary, very contemporary art. Um, but there were always, um, there was always a lot of symbolism, and um, you know he was dealing with social issues and gender issues, and um, but you would always see architecture and nature and you know all these other things yeah. come into his art. And then as he continued dealing in the fine art world and exhibiting at galleries around the country and and um, you know kind of navigating that scene. Um, he got more and more frustrated with it and then, you know, continued that study of, Architecture and design, and and started merging these things together. So it really it it it, it was this kind of natural evolution. Yeah. And I feel like that in our work we don't only specialize in arts and crafts, although that is what we are most known for. Right. But I feel like that um, that one of the things, and I I thought about this when you sent us some questions mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah. Um, I don't think I had had um kind of realized it in these terms, but I think that um so much of the way we approach our work is bringing an artistic sense to our client spaces and helping them make their home say something about themselves and doing that finding balance with preservation. So not necessarily destroying the architecture, but bringing decorative elements
1: in that create a living environment that's comfortable to them. Yeah. And I, I'm a big advocate, even if you're living in an older home, you know, I don't want I don't want people to destroy it and you know do things that can't be undone, but I think you need to make it a reflection of who you are and you know, you don't want to live in a museum. You it needs to be your your space.
2: Right. And 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 you know, and that's no different from when they were built. I mean, you yeah, know, that's true. They were they were designed for the, the people that were going to yes. live in them, unless they you know it was like a model home or, or something right. or someone, yeah. just, someone just bought it. But you know, there, there there was an attention to who would be living there. Right. And so it's it is no different today when you're preserving no. a building it. Yeah, no. it has to it has to function for. The person that is going to, to live in it. But as with your example earlier, if really the way they want to live is more of a mid-century kind of architectural.
1: Maybe you need to find that it's, kind of house. It's, it's,
2: <laughs> it's better for them to go find one of those than, than gut uh, uh, an old Victorian and try right. to make it yeah. into that because yeah. it's never going to be that. No, never no. Be. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very, very, very <laughs> true. And and I um I think that when oh now i can't i lost my train of thought um i i think that people um tend to when they think of an older home think of like having to live in a museum and and i agree that like people need to have their house be useful and i people have gotten i've talked to people who are very like rigid preservationist and they they're upset about um and i am not i am not i mean i am i i i love be, build, buildings being preserved but i am uh, that's why i say we're practical practical preservation because right. I, I i believe in i believe that you know that I've i've had people upset about adaptive reuse and i i and i've said you know a useful building Gets preserved. If if a building's just sitting there, nobody can use it. It's not going to be preserved. So that that's kind of where I fall in that in that debate. So I, I agree with you. I think that it needs to be useful, and people need to need to care, and then then it will be cared for because people will will love it.
3: I think that's such an important statement that you made, and a great perspective to come from. Because if a building is doesn't have a use as this museum and right. you're right it's it, it will fall into disrepair and there is a place for um hardcore preservation i agree you know? and, and many of those buildings become house museums and and you know they're places that we can all visit and learn from but um one of the things that uh that Um, I think, had a huge impact on us very early on when we were starting to do preservation-specific education um, was learning the notion of, um, in Europe, that preservation incorporates layers of history. And um, that's something that's really stuck with us and that we talk a lot with our clients about sensitively adding layers of history. So if you've got windows that that can be repaired and um, stay functional, we never advocate for window replacement and we never advocate for vinyl windows for sure. Um, So there are certain things that we really wanna do preservation work on. And then there are other places where we can help people add these layers of history that will not need to be ripped out later, um, but then sometimes you walk into a house or a building where really insensitive layers of history have been added, like right. your example, yeah. that you know you want to undo some of those bad layers. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, and, and I think that that's really an important like philosophy and I guess thought to think about in preservation because I know when we work for the park service, they're usually going to the period of significance. That's like the, the formal term. Uh, where you know this is the period that we're going to preserve to because this is the period that the important person or whoever you know whatever event made this building important is is tied to but oftentimes buildings do evolve and buildings change especially like our colonial buildings they have you know had plumbing and electric added and you know there's you know and you know those and that that evolution you you have well, you don't have to. I guess you could choose not to, but most people choose to accept that and and continue to help that building evolve so that it continues to be useful. Um, and and you know, we most people are not living in buildings that are, you know, that that have. I mean, they're significant from an architectural standpoint, but not necessarily significant from a period of history. So it's it's good to see those evolutions. I, I agree. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so what um, what challenges or trends do you see in um, in preservation
2: I think I think the challenge in in preservation is combating trends oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I, I I really do because it's 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 trends and disposable culture that right. usually drive people to want to change their their piece of architecture right. from the get-go. You know this. Oh, this looks old and stodgy. Let's let's make it look right. modern and and new. And um, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting because I think even within historic preservation, th- th- there's trends. Mm-hmm. You know, first you know, one of the first significant ones in America was the, the um, revival of the Victorian. Right. Age. And then that kind of gave way to this thrust of, of interest in the arts and crafts
0: mm-hmm.
2: movement. And then somehow that's jumped over Art Deco and other things. It just jumped to mid-century modern. You know, this was kind of a wave that went Victorian Arts and Crafts Mid-century Modern. Yeah. But I remember during the height of the arts and crafts revival watching programs on HGTV where they were advocating to people to give their mid-century ranch an arts and crafts makeover.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> now that's not. That's not that's good for the arts and crafts revival, but that's not good for the mid-century ranch. And now I am sure today we're talking probably 20 years later that those mid-century ranches that were given those arts and crafts um, makeovers are now that is all being torn off, thrown away into the landfill, which is not a good thing. And they're taking them back to what they were. When when the the
1: right yeah
2: arts and crafts people went in there and tried to give them the makeover, you know, <laughs> I
1: mean,
2: they, they, these are, you know, we 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 are challenged by trends in general, but we're even challenged by by trends that we might inspire. right Right. and i'm not saying that 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 and i'm not saying that hgtv was coming from a preservation standpoint right but that never would have happened if it wasn't for the preservation interest that came out of the arts and crafts revival and that rage that came Mm -hmm. with the the arts and crafts revival i mean you knew it was you knew it was a really big thing when you could go to target and there were, you know, bad reproduction, Dirk Banner style lamps and stuff for sale. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it it, it was just a, a, a heavy, heavy trend. Right. And it actually, you know, spread so far that it invaded other styles of, of architecture and maybe did some, some, some wrong.
3: <laughs> I think another challenge um, that we face is because there's been so much good preservation work and so many books written and published mm-hmm. about victorian architecture and aesthetic architecture and arts and crafts and you know there's a lot of beautiful coffee table books that sometimes we run into situations where p- people feel like they're supposed to do it like they see in the book and they don't understand that those movements all had a lot of diversity in right. them and that they didn't just fit in these little boxes that these coffee table books show. So I hear from people, a couple of things that we hear a lot is one, oh, my house isn't like those houses on your website. You know, my house is very modest um, or um I don't really like arts and crafts. You know, I don't like all those boxy, that boxy furniture. Mm -hmm. And so they maybe bought an arts and crafts house because of where their job was or the schools that they wanted their kids to be in. But they feel like then that they're supposed to do things a certain way. And so one of the challenges is actually educating people that any of those architectural and design movements are broader than what they see in a few books yeah. and that the eclecticism of those movements is okay and you know we can help you preserve the structure and the architectural details and then you know, bring other elements in that suit who you are and how your family lives and, you know, kind of balancing that. So I think it all comes, you know, we're constantly as professionals, we're constantly looking to learn new things and, you know, just this like lifelong education quest. And then I think that it's always an effort to bring education and, and good information to our clients. So so that preservation isn't misunderstood. Yeah.
1: I, I think that that's really a good uh, a good point because people do, I hear that a lot too like oh, I don't have you know my house is just old, it's not historic or you know whatever however they want to phrase it. And you know you can you can preserve the, the structure and still make it comfortable for you to live in and, and, and have it reflect your taste. I, I think that's a really good point and that makes it more accessible, I think to people then too. Right. right. So yeah, it goes any- back to
2: that museum complex. Yes. It goes back yes. to the museum. It complex. does. If it's, I do uh, this then then I have to live like I'm in a museum and it's like no, that's not yeah <laughs> uh,
1: Did you uh, uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to share or that you thought of when we were talking that maybe you wanted to um, that we didn't cover or that I didn't ask you? I
3: don't I, I didn't think of anything okay. no
1: Um, talking to you definitely
3: um and and you know hearing your other podcasts and and things that have come up definitely makes us interested in learning more about what you do and oh, the okay. scope of yeah. your background and your work yeah. so yeah hopefully yeah. that can happen at some point
1: oh sure definitely um and uh, did you have any offers uh for our listeners um I, I know you have things for sale on the website I didn't know if you had seminars I know it was the world is kind of starting to open up again, but not completely. So I didn't know if there was anything you wanted to promote. Um, well,
3: uh, thanks for asking. Um, so on our website, we do have um, art and um, and galleries of, of CJ's work. Um, we also have um, a recently developed store where we've started making prints and greeting cards from some of CJ's art, so it's more affordable um, ways uh, for people to to start an art collection or add to an art collection, gift giving, that kind of thing. Um, but I think um, related to your question, probably the biggest thing is, that um, this whole Zoom culture of the last yeah. year has definitely given us a kick um, into technology that we weren't using. And we just, um, for the month of February, we were participants in the National Arts and Crafts Conference. And we did four educational Zoom sessions, um, which went really well. We were super nervous about them, but they went well. And so now um, we're talking about um, doing some of the educational programs that we do at conferences and Things like that through Zoom. So, um, if there are listeners who are interested in um, the kinds of things that we might be talking about, um, they can sign up to be on our mailing list um, through our website or follow us on our business page on Facebook. And um, this spring, we're going to definitely start doing some of those. We did an exterior um, color program that was helpful to a lot of people, so we're thinking that we'll um, do something like that that opens it up to people outside of the conference. So, um, I feel like, uh, that, uh, you know, with people asking for more of that, we need to be more comfortable jumping into that realm of
1: technology. No, and Um, yeah, no, I agree. And I, I've done two seminars, um, over zoom and I, I really do like it because I got no feedback. I was like talking to myself for half an hour. I was like, uh, this is terrible. So I, 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 when I do, when we do presentations, I enjoy like interacting with the audience and getting their, at least their feedback. Like, do they like what I'm saying? Do they think, you know, and, and I was getting nothing. <laughs> so, right, you wanna see yeah. that eye
3: contact and make yeah, sure that people yeah. are
1: understanding what you're saying and yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. It does but, make a challenge.
1: Yeah, I do think that it's great to have put more educational information out for, for the world. and And I just need to get over that. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Um, you know, the, um, the ones that we did with our conference, um, we were really nervous about it because they were actually interactive and live and we were worried about the technology issues. Um, we did have technology problems on one, but the other three went really well. Okay. And so people could actually ask us questions and, um, and speak up, um, as we went along. So, um, that we learned a lot from that, yes. from that process. Oh, um, and, and you know, we, we're into March now and um, as the weather gets warmer, um, it's becoming exterior color consultation right. season for us. So we're starting to book those consultations and, um, and help people get ready for their late spring and into summer and fall painting. Right. So we thought, okay, we should be ready in April um, to do another one of these um, that, programs yeah. so um, so now that we're saying it out loud to you we have to do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's great I, I I encourage you to do it so go do it <laughs> and I am following you on Facebook so I, I will try to, I'll try to attend because I I love it. I, I feel like every time I go to some something where I learn something I or you know that I learn something every time I go to an, an educational event so I will. I right. do that. Um, How can our listeners contact you?
3: Oh, excellent. Um, Our website is a great way, um, www.cjhurley.com. We have an about and a contact section there. People can send us inquiries via email. Um, They can also just directly email to info at cjhurley.com. Um, our studio phone number is 814-493-8642. And then our CJ Hurley Century Arts um, uh, Facebook page. We are, after many years of being resistant to it, we are coming into the world of starting a blog. Okay. So <laughs> we don't have it yet, but soon yeah. we'll have a blog. So yeah,
1: Well, and, and that's, that's great from a marketing standpoint. So for, for, your, um, for your SEO. So that, that's the other thing I love is marketing. <laughs> oh, nice, <laughs> nice. So, well, thank you very much for, for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank yeah, you.
3: Thank you, thank, thank you so you much, so much and for having us. We it. really yes. appreciate yeah. that you reached yeah. out to us and invited us. Thank you. Thank you.